Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ's culture and the church. Hey, welcome to Where We Land. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined here in the studio with, with my co-host, Stephen. Hello. And Laura. Hey, guys. And we got a special guest, not so much a guest, back with us again today on the podcast, Miss Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? And we are all here today because we have an exciting episode to talk about God and gender. So we hope you'll join us for the full discussion today. Man, it is so good to have Morgan back with us. Things feel right again in yes. the Where We Land studio. All is right in the world. <laughs> <laughs> We've missed you. It's so good to have you back uh, after a few episodes. And uh, today we're excited because this day and next week is going to be a two-part episode in which we're talking about God and gender. And, and before we kind of just jump into the discussion today, I just want to kind of like ask you all a question. Like, has there ever been times in life where you've, you know, have had a tendency to look at something small or familiar and you just completely overlook it? I feel like that's every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want any specific examples because it just happens so yes, much to me. Yes, we do. But uh, no, I literally <laughs> said I life. can't because oh, it I happens so said, much. <laughs> I thought you said, I don't know if you want any specific examples and I was saying, yes, we do. <laughs> Um, well, basically just this topic for one. Ah, I know that's probably okay, where, you're, you where you were going with that. But. Yeah, yeah. Way to take the thunder. Is that cheating? Yeah, I think Sorry. cheating. Uh, no, it's good. Just it's been good. in the game too long. Huh? You, you have been in the game too long. <laughs> that was too easy of a question to segue into the discussion, wasn't it? Uh, well, but, but isn't there some things in life that it's easy to like overlook, you know? Uh, yes. Like, um, like, accustomed uh, to it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, when you're driving... Have you ever just like zoned out before Dude, and then you woke I, back up and you're like, sometimes I get home and wait, I'm like, why, how did why I get are here? are you still driving? <laughs> like you're, yeah. you've never just zoned out before while you're driving and then you come to your senses and you're like 15 minutes away from where like you last remember thinking about driving and you were flawlessly driving and you're just like, I, I am a robot. I love how he <laughs> answers the word flawlessly <laughs> as he forgets oh, that yeah, he drove. Also, oh, yeah. I don't think that has ever happened to me. <laughs> you're not asleep. You're not asleep. Wait, Laura, like never once you've just never like once. not, you've just, st- you've gone into autopilot and you just muscle memory. You mean like, Even and I'm on, like, genuinely surprised yeah. that I'm uh, still driving. Yeah. No. Yeah. Never. Morgan, you have had also, that. Also, driving kind yeah. of stresses me yeah. out, so maybe that's why. Well, see, I, I think I come from the stock that my brother does and who thinks that driving is so boring that you have to tune out. And I'm like, bro, why are you behind the wheel? <laughs> this is like a 17-year-old, okay, <laughs> thinking that driving is so boring that he absolutely has to disengage because he just yeah. can't, can't deal. But yeah, Poor Micah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Shout out to Micah. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just easy, I think, to overlook things in life, you know, things that we find maybe familiar or uh we we just think that they're old old hat or something like that and and there's there is i think a tendency to overlook those things in life and uh today on the podcast we're going to probably one of the shortest and probably i would say uh, most familiar verses in all of the bible and that is genesis 1 1. i mean it's right there at the beginning and yet there is such a tendency i think to just jam pack uh, there's so much in this verse that is jam-packed, but then there's a tendency really just to brush over it without taking the time to think about what is at play within this verse and um, how is that working? You know, because as we talk about um, God and gender today on the podcast, I think before we ever get into the discussion, I think we need to just take a moment and think about what do you think the concept of most people uh, is when they consider this topic of God and gender. I mean, where do you think most people are coming to our conversation today from a background of Morgan? Well, I think it, it seems to be sort of like a two camp issue on the surface, right? So people who are outside of the faith, um, or at least have more of a nominal understanding of it, um, I think they see God as a really rigid, like patriarchal sort of form and gender is all about submission and domination and all that kind of thing. So people who are outside the faith, they see God and gender. It's like more about like, you know, the dividing lines. People who are inside the faith, they see, you know, they see gender 
in specific terms, but it's it's still like we take it for granted. I think people within the faith, gender and God and gender is like a reflex, like God the Father, God the Son, and then the Holy Spirit is not talked about as much anyway, so it doesn't matter. But like we have more of a better understanding of gender in our own minds. But the more I get into it, I'm like, I don't even think the church has a really good understanding of gender, but that's just mm. my survey of the land. I'm sure there's yeah, better. No, but I think that's helpful to hear that from the outset where you're coming from. Laura, what would you add to that? I was just sitting here thinking about what you said, and I think it's true that when those outside the faith look at us as a church or God, they see it's negative around this topic, the idea of God and our gender. So I hate, seems restrictive, I hate that. It maybe? seems restrictive and negative and um not what they would like to believe about God. Do you know what I mean? Like they they see it as negative and how God's response or God's idea of gender would be negative. And then in turn, that's not how they want to feel about God Hmm. in general. Hmm. Steven, what about you? Yeah, I think a lot of times we put our human understanding on God's character when it comes to this issue and we expect it to all match up somehow. And, um, I mean, for instance, if you've ever seen somebody try and picture God, the father, the person who, uh, is unseen, <laughs> uh, it's always like a old white headed dude, right. Or something or like this guy or this force. And like, we try and put our understanding of a concept onto the God of the universe. And it doesn't work like that. It's his character that should shape our understanding. And I think too often in the church and Honestly, those who maybe have walked away from the church or even outside of the church, we expect to put our understanding of God and that's who he is when it should be the opposite way around. It's his character. It informs our understanding of who he is. Yeah, because I mean, I referenced Genesis one that it's probably one of the shortest and maybe most familiar verses. I would also add to that at this point that it's probably one of the most controversial verses in the Bible that people come to this verse. And I, I think it really is jam packed with understanding. And for centuries, you know, people have been, I think, trying to come to the root of this question. I mean, you see that in philosophy, you see that in theology, you see that in science, people trying to get to the, you know, the bare bones of the question of who am I and why am I here and how do things work? And the Bible begins its story by saying that in the beginning, God created. So those two words are just a firecracker uh, today in our culture. But as we read the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, I think what we need to keep in mind is while this, this, these two chapters of the Bible may not answer every question that a person is asking, it does remind us that there is an infinite creator God who is overall and responsible for the creation that he's made. So before we just kind of segue into talking about God and gender here, I think we need to just stop and give some qualifiers uh, before we would even talk about some of our discussion today. Because I would say that within the church today, there seems to not be much of a safe place uh, for some of these things to be discussed. I think um, it, it seems to me, Morgan, you're right on. Like it, it's, it seems to be such a stark dividing line uh, between those maybe two camps of understanding of this passage. And um, I just think we, before we jump into the, and jump into the whole conversation, um, you know, it's my understanding as I think about the Church of God that the Church of God ought to be a safe place for people who are uh, confused about their gender or people who have had, you know sexual hardship or brokenness about certain things. I mean, um, the body of Christ ought to be a reflection of Jesus himself, right? I mean, it should be a living reflect, a living reflection of Christ's body. It's, it's, um, his bride. And so as you think about it, the, the way that the church responds to things of this nature, uh, ought to be just a fortress of safety for people who are struggling in these things, people who may not understand these things, people who are still wrestling through this really kind of profound question of the who am I, right? And so, I mean, as we just kind of just take a broad look at the landscape of the church today, um, what would be some other things that you might add to say before we even just jump into having a discussion about this? Anything? Just because it is such a polarizing issue from the outset, 
I would just say for the listener, try to come in in an open mind is such a broad term, you know, but um, just this is this is an episode for everybody to listen to. We're not we're not trying to argue you into a corner to believe a certain thing. We just want to illuminate some of the truths that our culture and even some faults of the church have forgotten to root themselves in. So this mm, should be illuminating. Yeah. 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 I would completely agree with you. I, w- I would also encourage to, to the listener, we will not argue into you into a corner. However, we will be firm in some of the things that we will say from scripture because we do objectively believe that God's word is an objective source of truth. So that is a presupposition that we are coming to the table with. Hmm. Laura, anything else you want to add before we I guess that in? I'm thinking for the person who's listening that's going to listen to all of this and not agree with us. Yeah. We still are happy that you're here listening. Mm. Amen. We, Big time. And, and we respect you. We respect that you're an intelligent person that is coming to your own conclusions. And um, I just think that if you're a person that listens to this and doesn't agree with us, I mean, that says a lot about you, that you're willing to listen to someone else. So... Um, I hope that we are good listeners, too, and uh, I think the church needs to work better as a whole of being a good listener to those who may disagree with us. Hey, that's good. That's good. So so we want to talk about this today on the podcast, this whole topic of God and gender, and I think the first place we're going to start today is we're just going to unpack uh, Genesis 1 of uh, this whole concept of what the Bible is declaring uh, in verse uh, 27, right? So in Genesis 1, verse 27, we read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so, I mean, the Bible just declares in the very first chapter of its story that mankind was made in the image of God. And that teaching about may, being made in the image of God is um, not just central to Genesis 1 and 2, but as you read the rest of the story, you find that it is very important uh, in the whole framework of understanding the biblical story. You know, God says, I, I read verse 27, but let me back up and read verse 26. Uh, and God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image, after our likeness. Okay, so we're going to unpack that in a minute. And let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. And then in verse 31, we read that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And at this point in the creative story, everything that God's made, we're told is good. Uh, And every day of creation, except for here, we read that this whole understanding of of mankind being made in God's image was something that was very good. So before we um, kind of talk about just kind of the implications of some of these things, let's begin by asking the question, what? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? All right, I'll jump in there. Uh, (laughs) So to be made in the image of God is literally to be made after his likeness. And it is not um, saying that we are uh, perfectly just like God, right? We do not necessarily have every single characteristic of his, but we are made after his likeness. Thus, we would say that we are able to cease and learn some things about God in the way that he created us, thus that God does show emotion. Why? Because he created in us an innate ability to have emotion. And so that's when you see in scripture, when God does have emotion, you can actually look in your life and be like, oh man, God actually gave me that when he created me in his own image. And so that would be an illustration of that. But it's the idea that we were created in the likeness of God and were given certain characteristics and definitions by God after his personal plan. Mm. So it would speak to like us being, we resemble him. Would yeah, that be a no, good I way think, of putting I think that? Yeah, we're, we're, we're made in his resemblance. I mean, mm-hmm. the word Im- image is, is a Hebrew word that literally has this idea of um, something that is carved or something that is cut out of something. So it, it, it bears a resemblance and bears the likeness 
of, of what it is. And so when we think about being made in God's image, we're thinking about the investment that God made in humanity um, by his glory and the moral capacity for mankind to reign and to rule uh, the earth as God's representatives. I, I read a really good book. I think we talked about it a while back on the podcast by uh, Jeremy Tree. Uh, I think it's called Seek First the Kingdom of God. Remember you and I were talking oh, about it, that yeah. book? Did you ever read that? No, not yet. But he, he had such a great way of unpacking uh, just the kingdom of God and what it means. And he, and he talks about that, you know, the kingdom of God is is I think it's God's reign through God's people over God's place. And I was like, what a succinct definition. As we think about Genesis 1 and 2, like God's people, uh, God's dominion through God's people over God's place. And so it's this whole idea of being made in the image of God. And we were actually talking about it a little bit before we started recording, that the image of God is not something that I have as much as it is something that I am, it's who I am, yeah. it's my identity. So when God says that we're made after his likeness, I mean, what, is, what does that all entail? I think the, the first thing, like as a kid growing up, I thought this meant purely like, <laughs> it's so silly now, but like that we looked like God. He gave us a face because he has one and he gave us arms and legs because he has arms and legs. Um, but it's, it is, it's so much more of like, it is innate within us and it's it's almost it's something that can't really be be seen or touched and obviously we're image bearers as physical human beings because that's what we are we aren't spirit beings um but just so much that it's not something you can lose you know because it's so it's woven into our dna it is a part of the yeah makeup and he didn't do it to anything mankind. else like yeah. it's only human beings who are image bearers of god that's nothing good. else in creation laura what would you add to that well i guess when you said it's only human beings it makes me think of the question so what then makes us different than animals steven once again to you <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we are the one thing in genesis chapter one through three that carries the image of god or that was given the image and was made in the likeness of god thus that's why we have been given dominion over the animals and while I am not a um, animal serial killer, um, <laughs> I do believe um, that the argument from Scripture we um, have from painted. A, hold on, we have painted such a gruesome picture of you on the podcast. I have cats. I have cats that I love very he much. Animals. Guys, how I'm, are you sitting across the table from Laura right I now? Guys, I was outdoors last night at about eleven o'clock at night, Defending looking for cats. my cat because he had run away. And so I had a Steven very long night. Steven is a genuine cat person. Guys. I love he's my a, animals. He's a genuine cat person. Dude, he he's is. like a closet cat person, though. You would never yeah. know. Like no. on the outside, you wouldn't. But anyway, it's true. My Sorry. point was though. Ahead, I just my point was, was <laughs> that um, it is biblical to say that God has given man a difference between humankind and animals, and also that we have been given dominion. And so, so thus, yes, be kind and steward animals well, but there is a use that man can use animals for his well-being and the well-being of the world. Mm. And there's a difference there that's made by God between mm -hmm. humankind and animals. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would answer that question. So I guess what I'm thinking more, maybe I wasn't real specific, like, okay, so my, um, my dog, he can be happy. He can be excited. He can be angry very angry <laughs> he can be sad he can be disobedient he can be all of those things so what makes him different than You're a human yeah what difference. is the specific, the specific difference, difference. Well, what is that special thing that means that we're carved out and we resemble god well i think we're gonna get to that in a minute i don't want to jump the gun too much here but i think it's describing the essence of who we mm -hmm. are right so there is this um there's this whole understanding that, you know, uh, Augustine referenced uh, God's image and he talked about, you know, man's memory, his understanding, his will. And I think the word that probably pops up most frequently when you uh, consider the image of God is this whole concept of a mirror. Uh, I think John Calvin was really helpful when he says this. He says, man resembles him, meaning God, man resembles God. And that in him, God's glory is contemplated as in a mirror. So it's, it's, I think, I think we're helped in Genesis chapter five, verse three, where we read that Adam and Eve, we, we read that Adam has a son and the Bible says that he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. And so just as Seth bore the resemblance to his father, so Adam did to God. I mean, there is that mirrored 
reflection. And um, it is not that we are divine, but there is that sense of God, the godlike glory, if I could say it that way, you know, like his moral capacity of God's understanding, his will, who he is and his nature, like those things have been imprinted uh, onto mankind. And so the crowning, you know, glory of creation the perfection and all of that God had made that was called very good uh, was the goodness of God's design that he says there in, you know, in Genesis two twenty five. So there's this perfect relationship that God creates mankind. And then he creates Adam and Eve. Uh, and within this relationship, both with different genders, right? As the Bible would describe it. And, but yet they're in this perfect relationship with God and with one another, and they have different gendered bodies. But the Bible talks about that the man and his wife were both naked and it makes the point to say they were not ashamed. So like, what is the significance of God's perfection in his design by that statement that says they, they were not ashamed? They were at home in their bodies. They had absolutely nothing to reject about themselves because they were so secure in who their creator created them to be. Which points out that they do have a conscience. And um, this is what I would argue delineates the biggest thing between mankind and animals is when you trace it, tracing what Aaron just said, and I love that, you then trace it into the New Testament and you're going to see so much more pop up about the soul of man, the conscience of man. And that was there from the beginning though. And if you look back into how mankind communed with God in the garden, well, why are they communing on such a deep level? Well, because man has a soul. It's not his body that's communing with God. It's his soul that is communing with God. And man, and animals are never mentioned like that. Um, animals were not the ones who were uh, who got um, magically um, are sinful creatures, you know? Like at the, after the fall, it was mankind. And was there consequences for animals? Yes, but it was not them that Jesus came to die for and to seek after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we talk a little bit here now, um, you know, what is the image of God? Well, we've unpacked that a little bit. Now let's talk about the implications of that. Right. So what, so what, what are some of the things about being made in the image of God? What, what are the things that we draw out of that understanding? I think Stephen just mentioned it, like the capacity to have relationship, and how we are supposed to dwell with our other image bearers of God. Um, that, that ability to relate, though different, um, to have a, a communal relationship with, with God and with other That's good. creations. Good. So our relationship would be one of those things. What's another one? Yeah, um, I would I would continue on on what we just talked about and transition that back a little bit and not going to explain it anymore. But man's support superiority to lesser beings. I believe that Mm -hmm. that is an evidence of God's image in us, the dominion factor. Right, right. And there is the awareness. I think you talked about that, about the soul of man, like we see that in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says God's put eternity into man's heart specifically. Right. So there is that, That's true, so beautiful. which is a, yeah, it's, I love that verse, but it's such a, like an understanding that um, there is something unique about mankind of the essence of who we are. But I think when we go back to Genesis one and we look at verse 27 and we see that um, God creating them in his own image, um, he says, God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. But then he, then the Bible like clarifies that male and female, he created them. And, and we're told that they're to have the function that man and woman are to have in the garden is to have dominion. So what does that mean? What does it mean? What is this function of them having dominion in the garden? Laura? Well, I mean, Stephen talked about it some, we have, we have, I mean, what's a better word for dominion? Let's think about this. Like, if you break break down what that means, to I mean, rule. A common I think it's word would I think, be I back to Jeremy Treat's definition, where he talks about God uh, uh, agency reigning, over reigning, reigning, and like mm-hmm. that kingly reigning. Mm-hmm. Like he's put it God in our is charge. King and, right. Yeah, and, and and with that comes a responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So there is this aspect then that mankind is kind of i guess we could think about like a royal ambassador for god like and they're stewarding stewardship. Yeah. God. <laughs> that was crazy yeah, I, I like the same that time. i like that ambassador <laughs> vibe though because <laughs> i don't play that game anymore because i'm an identical uh, twin and uh, so everything yeah, was coming out of our mouth the at the same time yeah i like that yeah. ambassador word though because yeah. that literally means that we carry 
the stamp approval and authority of the king, Ooh. but we're not king. So, right. yes, nice. we've been given authority. That's good. But our authority has nothing to do with us. It's only based on the authority of the one of whom we serve. Right. right. Yeah, very. So it's so important, I think, from a Christian understanding of the Bible that we root our identity of who we are in these first two chapters of the book of Genesis. It's what the Bible does. It's what the Bible does. And yet, you know how throughout church history, there seems to kind of be certain doctrines that come up within the life of a church. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think back over church history and maybe for our, our listeners that maybe are kind of new to this concept of thinking how like doctrines have been really worked out in certain centuries because of, I feel like I say that word wrong. Oh, centuries. Weird. Say it again. Centuries. centuries. But what do I what say? Centuaries. 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 You I, just, I literally you, started saying that word like that wait, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And I like, I know it's wrong when I say it, but, but it's you like, can't pinpoint I what's can't wrong get about it out. Yeah. Centuaries. <laughs> centuries. Centuries. Yeah. Centuries. There okay. You go. Well, they don't want to hear me say that word again. Anyway. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that like over church history, can't we go back to different points in the church and see how certain doctrines really were worked out because of heresies that were arising mm -hmm. within the church? So like, give us some examples well, like that we can think about. Like the grace alone versus works. That was a huge one for a okay, long so time. Okay, so you think about like, the Reformation, right? Mm -hmm. So what was the doctrine in the Reformation that was being discussed? Uh, justification, the idea yeah. of how am I saved? Am I saved by buying it through an indulgence? <laughs> Martin Luther would say no. And so he went and tacked up his 95 theses and went and um, stated all these things. But he would state that you were actually saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And um, I mean, I think of that one. I think of also back even earlier on just the who is Christ, right? And the debates of was he Nicaea was he God? Yeah, yeah. Was he man? Was he God and man? Which brings and, like, in the they doctrine of the Trinity. Yep. Brings in the doctrine of the Trinity. And then even like they, they even discussed salvation then of mm -hmm. like, like, is it a choice or is it something that I am able to access or is it actually not something I'm able to access and something that is forced upon me by God, you know? And like, how does God work through this? And so like, I mean, you can look through the, I mean, Council of Nicaea, Chalcedon, all these times when they gather together and they're, they're not necessarily forming doctrine as much as they are looking at scripture and the works uh, that had been written up to that point of the canon. And they are saying, you know what, we are recognizing these doctrines from scripture. Yeah. And I only bring that up because I feel like probably if you were living in those days, like to see the void of the need for the Reformation and some of those things may not have been so clearly seen, you know, within the culture that you were in. And I just think about it because as we think about this topic of God and gender, I mean, I feel like the whole doctrine of anthropology, if you want to talk about it that way, you know, our, or origins is really largely missing from mm -hmm. the church today. What do y'all think about that? I think so because I think it's one of those things we took for granted. Like it's what was it's one of those muscle memory that we just sort of took for granted that everybody is still holding true to this belief about our origins that you know, it's just one of those that's kind of put on the the back shelf of like a, a foundational textbook but you're already like in the deeper textbooks that you need to be studying, you know, but mm. and because of that, I think a lot of people know what they believe and know no, a lot of Christians know what they should believe, but maybe they don't know why exactly they yeah. believe it. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think another common thing too is in our day that's becoming more popular is the lack of wanting to deal with it. And so we just accept whether it's something that we've been taught or we just accept whatever is the most popular opinion and roll with it because it is a complicating uh, discussion and there are a lot of different routes that can be taken and there's a lot of different things that can be said. And so I think sometimes the easiest thing to do um, and the easiest temptation to take is, well, we'll just set that to the side and we won't really have a firm stance on that. So whatever goes, or we'll just go with whatever we've been taught and just say it's good enough for right now. Yeah. And I think it, I take it back to like our understanding of doctrine because it's like, you know, that I think Morgan's right. It's for the people that want to affirm that creation is real, then they're like, oh, that's old hat. We'll set that to the side. But it's not clearly like taught and not just creation, but the implications of creation, right? Like, what does it mean? The essence of who we are, the function of what we're called to do, how we're to relate to one another in 
relationship. And so when we, when we, you know, we just want to, I think sometimes we just want to say it without explaining it. And the thing is you cannot do that because you're not clearly helping someone understand something. It's like just saying, well, well, Jesus is enough. But if you, if you don't ask what it is about Jesus that makes him enough, then you, you've not, you've not clearly explained who Jesus is. And I think we do that when it comes to creation. We, we affirm creation for those who would affirm creation. We do that, but we don't take the time to root some of these understandings about mankind, specifically male and female in the image of God. Because there are, there are threads in creation that are, that have to be so deeply tied there. And if you start untying those threads, you can unravel the rest of the gospel before you know it, Hmm. if you don't have this understanding of really the implications of creation. So Laura, help us here then as we kind of unpack, you know, we think about the essence, we're made in the image of God. That's my identity of who I am, both for men and women. And then we consider their function. Both of them are to have dominion. And I think that is so important when we hear that word both. Like, you know, mm-hmm. both of them exercise dominion. They were both called to do that. Because I think that then brings us to this understanding of saying that, you know, mankind was a relational being. God created them within a relationship, male and female. So where do we go from that understanding then of, of the breaking down of those uh, two genders? Well, nowhere does it, does the Bible say that men are more in God's image than women. I think that a lot of times this this very quickly can bring men and women against each other, this discussion, and it's actually meant to bring us together. And so both, um, both masculinity and femininity are derived from God's nature. And I actually didn't know that until a couple of years ago. I was studying this on my own, and um, I, I remember going to my husband and saying, I I walked in and looked at him and said, so my femininity is derived from God's nature. And he looked at me and he's like, you didn't know that? I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, well, where did you think it came from? I said, I thought God created femininity. I thought that men got to bear like this special masculinity that God shares with them and that femininity was something that was created. Like it was beautiful and it was good and it was worthy, but it wasn't derived from his nature. Hmm. And that really changed the way I looked at myself, the way I looked at gender. Do you think that's because there's been maybe like a not clear understanding of when we talk about how Eve was created, like out of Adam? Like, do you think that's where some of that comes from? I think like, people tend to overemphasize that a lot, yeah, like, yeah. In, and make it more about that than about the fact that she's made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. As a fellow companion for right. him to help him from yeah, a position of and, strength. And it yeah, tends to be just, they. that becomes yeah. the bigger picture. It gets distorted mm-hmm. there. Right, yeah, I right. think so. I think so. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah, no, I was just sitting over here like, yeah, ooh, that's so good. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, uh, what what kind of massive implication... <laughs> Now, I'm, Aaron, is it contagious? Uh, it's me. I'm so oh. sorry. Implications that can have, like, even on the way that w- uh, women read the Bible, you know, they're not seeing themselves as something lesser than even man, but created equally in God's image. I wasn't even aware so. that yeah. I thought that. That's like, crazy. I wasn't even aware about how I viewed my gender. I, I think it wasn't for me until a number, oh, probably a couple years ago that I feel like growing up in the church, what is often emphasized is the distinctions, right? Mm -hmm. Between manhood and womanhood. And those are the things that are often elevated and talked about. But I don't think I really realized it until a couple years ago that we as male and female share so many more similarities than we do differences. And Mm -hmm. we always have a way of capitalizing on the differences yeah. i mean right i mean yeah. oh it's and getting true. mad at each other yeah. over them yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. i can't tell you how many times in a week i go to my mom and i'm like my brother is just a different breed like it just <laughs> he's i don't understand how his brain works you know but like it but you're you're right we do we tend to capitalize on So I think before we go forward in the discussion, we have to pause a moment. And because at this point, there probably enters in some words that people are maybe not familiar with. And they're probably loaded uh, when it comes (laughs) to these uh, words. Morgan, help us here because you're our word expert on the podcast. Is this where we bring in complementarianism and egalitarianism? That's what I was thinking about. All right. Yeah. So... All right. We don't want to get into this here yeah. in depth because we did do an episode on the role of women in the church and we went, I think, pretty deeply yeah. into an unpacking of these things. So go back and listen to that one because yeah. we spent a lot of time there and it was important to us. But I think we have to <laughs> reference that because as we move forward into talking about 
mankind as relational beings, there is a very broad spectrum of how people interpret that relationship and that function. Okay, so these ideas of complementarianism and egalitarianism, like Aaron said, is a spectrum. So when we're thinking egalitarianism, think equality, because this viewpoint is really trying to maximize on the fact that there is no absolute difference between men and women. We are the same. You know, they, they talk about inequalities to sort of highlight that. But ultimately, like men and women are the are the same, same roles, same power, same capabilities, like no, no true differences. Yeah. And so then I'll pick up complementarianism. I got you, bud. Um, (laughs) Complementarianism (laughs) is going to be more the idea on the other end of the spectrum that there are differences, right? And um, a complementarian, there's very many different shades, types, and uh, views in that word. So please don't type in that like word in Google and then come (laughs) away and be like, oh my goodness, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. There's a lot of different uh, shades of that. But what it does is it's going to focus on the differences of men and women, but how that their differences can complement one another, thus complementarianism. Yeah, because when you hear that word, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you. No, the idea of them being equal in value, but having different roles. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because I think when we think about complementarianism, we're talking about that both men and women are equal in essence and dignity. And value, and so there is much more about us that is similar than things that are different. And yet, the Bible would show distinctively that there are some differences, and it works through that. But I think before we talk about any of those differences, right, some of those gender things, and what we're going to get to in a minute, I think we have to go back and consider how both men and women are uh, those those genders are derived from being made in the image of God. Laura, how would you uh, unpack that for us a little bit? Well, I'm going to go with femininity on this one. I'm going to let you guys talk about masculinity. <laughs> okay. Okay. Femininity so, for 800. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when I look at uh, God throughout Scripture, I see a lot of feminine characteristics that do come out. And a couple of verses that come to mind are Isaiah sixty six thirteen. It says, "As one who comfort who's as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you." And Isaiah forty nine fifteen says, "Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born?" You talk. You also see right. other verses where God is talking about gathering, like as a mother hen mm-hmm. gathers her chicks underneath her, so He will gather His people. Mm-hmm. And there's just you see. You see both genders reflected in how God interacts with us. Oh, that's good. So, Stephen, masculinity. Yes. yes. Well, I mean, you look throughout Scripture, and I mean, first of all, um, you see that God, he protects. He has this protecting and warrior-like strong presence throughout the Old Testament as he protected his people, guided his people, and led his people as a loving father would. And um, I think it's important, like you said, to state God is not like sexually a male and he's not sexually a female. Both um, characteristics of both spirit. genders. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus said that. In exactly. God and is we, a spirit. We always want to put um, our understanding of gender onto God. And it's not right. We should be drawing from God to us. Mm. God is a spirit. He is not male or female. He does not have a sexually male gender or sexually female gender. And the reason that a lot of times I think we attribute it to that is because there's two reasons. Jesus came as a man. And then also God is called a father. Which, and then let's talk about there's each also, of those. Cause can we, okay. There's also yeah. a really out there one too. The reason I didn't put this one in the two is because there's also a new wave of believing that the spirit is a female um, because of the genders used in Hebrew language. However, I'm sorry to break it to you. Genders were not used like that to designate <laughs> that because there's certain words that are masculine that have nothing to do with masculinity. So, so you just referenced three good things. And I think all three of those would be worthy of us entering into for a brief discussion. Okay. So let's not that we're going to get in the woods yeah. weeds, but I think we need to at least reference the explanation for each of those. Okay. So yeah, you we'll talk about it to God three. being a father, God being a father. Why Jesus, is that? Why is that? Let's start with Holy that Spirit. one first. Why does Jesus refer to God as father? Well, there is a role of God as a father seen throughout scripture, a loving father. And um, we, we attribute that because he is a father, thus he must have the, um, he must be sexually male 
because fathers in our world are male. sexually male. Mm-hmm. And so we, it, it adds up in our mind, but we don't understand that both genders have come from God. And thus, yes, he is filling the role of a father, a perfect father. Yes, he is. However, that does not mean that he is just like us in our world. He's a spirit. He can be separate. And I think those designations of father and son help us understand who Jesus is, right? Because as we think about the Trinity, and a lot of this comes into an understanding of the the Trinity, which, hey, uh, spoiler alert, there will be an episode about in future episodes. So we don't want to get too far in on this. But when we think about God in the Trinity, we think about one essence existing in three persons, right? And they're they're dwelling in this perfect love and harmony. Mm-hmm. And so I think the understanding of father and son are helpful designations as we think about who Jesus is and then his relationship within the Trinity uh, to his father as coming as we think about, you know, his only son, the beloved son. I mean, I think we 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 draw from those words a deeper understanding of who he is. I also think when we think about uh, Jesus coming and the identity of who he takes on is a male. And I think that is very theologically significant for certain reasons. Why? He was a man. It's historically recorded that he was <laughs> yes, a man. Yes, no, I know that. But why, um, why is but it it's theologically, theologically important? Because um, you, you have to go back here and remember that, yes, we bear the image of God, but along also came the sinful, fallen creation and the image of Adam. And right. we are not perfect image bearers anymore. We still bear his image, right. but it has been marred. And, and we have the image so of Jesus Adam. Jesus had to be the second well, Adam. He, Paul Romans. picks up on that in Romans. And Romans unpacks this, right? Because he, Paul makes a very clear case in the New Testament that Eve was not deceived, but uh, Eve was deceived, but not Adam, right? Mm-hmm. So when Adam ate of the fruit, Complicit. Eve ate of it deceived, but Adam ate willfully. I mean, mm-hmm. fully comprehendingly knowing uh, his rejection of what God had said. And so when Jesus comes as the second Adam, that is significant in terms of our salvation, right? Yes, and, so, he, and by the way, this is important in your gospel presentations. The whole fact that he was the second Adam means that the life of Jesus was just as important as the death of Jesus. He had to live perfectly the life that Adam was supposed to have lived, and he did it flawlessly. That's good. That's good. And then the third thing you referenced was that uh, the, it's a new wave gender. of yeah, which, people which believing is, that the Holy Spirit is a female. It is New-ish. very prominent. I, that, that may be a brand new concept to a lot of our listeners, but I will say that is a highly like discussed topic right now in seminaries around yes. the country. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that is not specifically... Where do we, they get it from? Well, they bring it from the language, the the fact that when the spirit, the terms for spirit used in scripture are generally feminine and gender because ancient languages had, yeah. well, ancient languages had gender. They well, had masculine, languages that have gender. feminine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just what's, what's inhibiting us with, with English speakers is the way we view language. Yes, yeah. they have gender, but almost to the point where like every word had gender, which a lot of modern languages aren't necessarily like that. And um, every word would have it. And so, Though that's not how those ancient languages always worked, though, because many of the words used might have a masculine or a feminine um, gender, but they have nothing to do with that. That's just the gender that they carried. That's how they worked together in the sentence with the other words. Right. And so I think of even like the word used for mankind in Genesis 1. That's going to be um, when it says God created man in his own image and some of the other words. Like a lot of those words are masculine. But that does not detail the sexuality of the word. It just details yeah, how the word is yeah, used. That's, that's a good way to say it. And so, I don't have any problem with the idea of okay. of feminine. I I don't know. Maybe this is just the way that I've looked at it. Is not saying that the Holy Spirit is male or female because clearly, as you said in Scripture, I mean in the original language, it's not saying that 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 it's carrying a specific he she. The Holy Spirit is carrying a specific gender. But what I do see in the Holy Spirit as a woman is I see a lot of feminine characteristics mm-hmm. found there. And I think that's neat when you look mm-hmm. at like the reflection of our our femininity in the image of God. Right. You see like the father, you see, you know, God, the father mm-hmm. fathering. You talked about being a warrior, Stephen. You talked mm-hmm. about masculinity. You can also look at the Holy Spirit as comforting, being nurturing, helping. I mean, which, yes. which is a word that's to used to describe Eve. Yes. Yeah. Right. But even in that, it is not, you know, a lot of times that word in Genesis gets so thrown around right. that, oh, she's there as Adam's helper, as Adam's maid or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 wait a minute. When you look at the Old Testament, you just 
discover that God is described as that word, like the word that God is a helper. Uh, and it, that the only way you can help somebody is from a position of strength, not a position of weakness. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's as, yeah. so it's so important that when we read that statement that God created the male and female, uh, male and female, he created them. That statement, it grounds us fundamentally to the equality that exists between men and women, that both together equally bear the image of God, and both of them are called to exercise dominion. So let me ask you guys a question. Because men and women are kind of, are created in the image of God, and because our gender is derived from how God created us, who we are in him, right? They share many characteristics and um, what are some of those things, maybe attributes, you could think about, think about it that way, that men and women both share? Because well, there are so many more similarities right. than there are differences, yet we often camp on the differences, not the similarities. Well, this might be a little meta, but our ability to I- express ourselves um, it, it may be expressed differently, but the fact that we both feel and feel deeply, like some people will say like, oh yeah, men, they feel nothing because they don't like express it. But the the capacity to feel and to empathize with other people, um, to be able to communicate and, and, to, and to lead, that could be controversial and whatever. But I mean, women are as much leaders in a family as, as men, you know, teaching their children and like seeing what that looks like, you know? And so, I mean- there's a ton. <laughs> I mean, both men and women have consciences. Both men and women love deeply. Both men and women, um, they both um, are called to serve uh, mm. in the New Testament church. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, both called to service. It, it's all across. I mean, you look and there's a ton of commonality between them because they both were created in the image of God and they both are image bearers of God, even though not perfectly, they still bear God's image. And so thus there should be a lot of similarities. Um, and I agree with you. Um, I agree with you in a sense that yes, we have camped on the differences and, um, that, that has led to a lot of, um, issues. However, I don't think it's throwing out the differences either. I think that is a dangerous game that can be played and that leads nowhere good um, because then it doesn't focus in on why God created them differently. Um, So it's understanding the differences in a biblically balanced way and then applying them while still focusing on the similarities that we hold. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for that being said, like it's really important for men and women as believers to work together in unity to, you know, we, we talk about this a lot as far as marriage being an example of, um, you know, reflecting Christ in the church. We talk about this, but really when you think about us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to work together in unity to reflect the whole image of God correctly to the world. Mm -hmm. So excluding one another does no good. Yeah. Um, arguing with one another does no good in reflecting the image of God. Okay. And, and okay. I and I think another thought just struck me too. Like at the bottom of everything, men and women are most equal. I think in our needs, you know, like right. that that need to be number one redeemed, but our our needs to be loved and to find a place of belonging. Like I think there's so much more similarities and and even our weaknesses than than our strengths. <laughs> so, so as we think about all those things that are the there are certain things that men and women both share. I think, how would you think about those character traits differing from our own cultural views that are present regarding men and women? Like, as we think about what the Bible is describing here, that uh, both male and female God created, how, how does that understanding of what the Bible's portraying differ from kind of how our culture would view uh, men and women. Our, our culture seems to be in a power struggle at all times. You know, it, it's not as much as it's, as much as they want to say like men and women are equal. It's always about trying to eke above the other one. You know, like <laughs> huh. I just, I mean, you just look at um, modern, more modern feminism, um, and it's not just about like trying to recognize that we as women are equal human beings. It's like we need more power than you because you've had it over us too long. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I keep thinking of the word grasping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like grasping for something from the other or wanting to take one part of how their gender works and apply it to themselves. And it's just this grasping and Mm -hmm. this struggle amongst our culture with with regards to gender. For sure. 
So God created male and female. We come to the end of chapter two and we discover in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, right? So there was this perfect harmony. There was this crowning display of God's goodness. There was no lack of questioning regarding their identity of who God made them. They were not ashamed in who they were. And it would be great if we just thought that everything stopped there, but it doesn't, right? So we turn the chapter again into chapter three. And what we discover is we we just start to see this unraveling of God's design, you know, that we see the image of God, um, something happening to that, like in the fall of man. And, and you know, we're not going to take time. We don't have the time today to read chapter three of the book of Genesis. I encourage you to read that, to consider the way that Adam and Eve sinned against God, the way that um, Adam willfully, Eve was deceived, but the way that that curse, that God gives a curse both to the male, the female, and to the serpent. And, and we see this unraveling of God's creation. We see it in Genesis, but then we continue to read it and we read all the way to the New Testament and we come to Romans 1. One, and we see just the, the extent of where this unraveling of creation has gone, how much the world has been shattered and tainted and broken by sin. And I want us to think about this um, probably next time on the podcast, because we really don't have time today to finish up by talking about this. So we're literally going to leave you on a cliffhanger right now. And we're going to pause. You're going to have to wait one week. So I hope that in the time that you have to wait, uh, you just think about some of the things we've discussed. Think about what does it mean to be made in the image of God and the implications that we've talked about. And I want you to go ahead and start thinking about what are some of the challenges that we see in our world today because of the fall of man? Uh, the fall of man did something to the image of God in the earth. And there's a lot of different, uh, there's three prominent positions that people take. And really the way that you uh, identify that has a lot to say in, in how you practice things, right? So our practice flows out of our beliefs. So literally, we're just going to stop right here. I know this is painful uh, for those of you lis- listening with us right now, uh, but we're going to stop right here and we're going to pick it up next week. So we'll see you here then on the podcast. Hey, thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. We hope that you have enjoyed our discussion today and look forward to joining us next time as we continue our study in God and gender. Well, listen, if you haven't taken the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, we trust that you would take a little bit of time and share your review with us. We'd not only love to hear it, uh, but that would help us spread this podcast on to more folks. Well, listen, we'll join you here next time. We'll see you then.